uh, scuba diving in a giant cave might seem very adventuresome until you realize that 5% of all scuba diving deaths are because of cave diving. And what you're supposed to do when you scuba dive in a cave is you have this uh, spool of, of really strong string that's actually attached to you, and it's brightly colored. And you attach it to the outside of the cave, into the rock or into the reef somehow, and as you go into the cave, then it unspools. Because now think about this. If you go into a cave system and you're swimming around and you lose your way, period, you're dead. There, there's no way. You're, you're going to die because you're going to run out of air. Or if you're in the cave, which is most often what happens, your fins will then stir up some of the dirt on the, or the dust or the whatever, the muck down there, and then all of a sudden everything gets super cloudy, and at that point you're doomed. So why you have the string is to actually follow the brightly colored string, it's really a cord, all the way out the way you came in so that you then live and you can get to the surface, etc. The interesting thing about that analogy in real life is that every single one of you, to some degree, is facing that every single day. You live in a world that is filled with muck. It's filled with all kinds of distraction that you can kind of lose your way. And what you need is God's will to find your way out, right? We desperately need God's will. And interesting enough, to enjoy the blessings that God has for us, we need to walk according to his will, which is revealed in his word. The problem is we live on a planet that actually is constantly trying to take God out of our equation. Are you with me on this? You're, you're not like a special creation made in the image of God. You're just an evolutionary accident, right? The world's trying to tell us that. Uh, you don't really have anybody that you're going to answer to after you die and face in judgment. No, there's no one. So you can live any way you like. You can choose any kind of morality you like because there is no one to answer to. This world is telling us there's no eternal life. So you might as well just live for this life now. Go for the gusto. Do whatever you want. In fact, this world's telling us there's no one to believe in. So what do they tell you? Believe in yourself. That's the big message of our day. There's no one to live for in this world. So make certain that you please yourself. Buy all kinds of stuff. Get in credit card debt. No problem. Uh, make sure that your own comfort, your own convenience is your top priority. Basically live on this planet as if God does not exist. That's the message of our world. And it is so strong today, it's overwhelming. And sometimes, would you admit, sometimes, Will you be honest enough? Christian, do you begin to live that way as well sometimes? Yeah? As if God doesn't exist? Even though you know and love and obey the Lord Jesus Christ, we all kind of sometimes kind of go through life and we forget that he's the one who's in control. We forget that he's the one who's actually redeemed us and saved us and made us his own children. We do, don't we? Yeah, we do. We forget that he's the creator. We forget that he's the judge that we will answer to for every word that comes out of our mouth. We forget that we have an incredible purpose to become like him, to invite others to come to him. We forget that he's offered us abundant life and that he's in absolute total control of everything going on in your life and everything going on on this planet. Can I hear an amen to that? It doesn't matter what's going on. God is orchestrating his will. He's orchestrating it. So you say, Chris, what does that mean when I then occasionally forget that God's in control? What does it mean as I walk through life as if God doesn't exist and I forget that I'm related to him? What does that mean? Well, what that means is this. Are you ready? You and I are prone to wander. You and I forget the abundant grace of God that he's given to us, correct? Don't we? We, we do that. In fact, what's he tell us? Thank the Lord Jesus Christ for his incredible grace. That we're not living under this law, but we're living under his abundant grace. In fact, he says in John 1.16, for of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Can I hear an amen to that? Yeah, even in our imperfections, even when we forget about him, we're still under his grace as his children. But for some of you, some of you he actually hear. If you're blind to Christ every day, 
daily. Yeah, maybe you come to church every once in a while, but daily. You're just really not blind to his purposes, his existence in your life. James says that you may not be his child. And that's one of the tests that he gives us in the book of James. The book of James is filled with all these tests to show us, are we really truly born again? Are we really living by a living faith? Or are we pretending to be Christians, in Christian in name only, but really not regenerate? That's what he's talking about. Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles really quickly, just as an illustration, to 2 Kings chapter 6. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 6. You've got to see this. The ancient king Syria, uh, and Syria is at war with Israel, and the king of Aram, the, the king of Syria, he's disturbed. You know why he's disturbed? It's kind of funny. The prophet Elijah keeps telling the king of Israel what Syria is going to do in their next battle. So he's predicting where they're going to go and what they're going to do. And so then, therefore, Israel wins the battle and Syria loses the battle. And the king of Aram was is slightly kind of put off by that, wouldn't you? I mean, he's got a guy telling him exactly what's going to happen. And so, therefore, he's like, you know, we got to stop this. So they go after Elisha. They're going to capture him and stop him from telling the king of Israel how they're going to fight and, and, and lose, you know, they want to win the war here. So verses 14 and 15 of 2 Kings chapter 6 is a wonderful illustration. It says this, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there and they came by night and surrounded the city. So they sent a division of soldiers to go after Elijah and now when the attendant of the man of God, this is the servant of Elijah, um, if you watch Star Trek, this is crewman number five, okay? Uh, this is the guy who's going to die, right? They're going to capture Elijah, but they're going to kill this guy. So he's really upset. So the attendant says, he's risen early, he's gone out. Behold, an army of, with horses and chariots is circling the city, and his servant's going, alas, my master, what are we going to do? They're surrounded by this large army, okay? And so therefore, there's no escape. The servant is terrified at this point, but all he could see were his dire circumstances, so then what happens? Take a look at 16 to 17. So he answered, Elijah does, Do not fear, my servant, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17. And then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, would you open his eyes, my servant's eyes, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Don't you love that story? Here he is, he's surrounded by an army, but then God opens his eyes and he sees that the Lord's army is greater and mightier all around this situation. Uh, God's army of angels is there to protect Elijah, and Elijah's prayer basically said, now look, move him from the physical sight to the spiritual sight so he can actually see what's really going on. Wouldn't that be great if we could see that right now? See that in our world, see that in our life. But you know what? The eyes of faith, it is happening. With the eyes of faith, you know that God is at work. And we never need to doubt that. Understand that the Lord then caused an earthly battalion of Syrian soldiers to go blind, and that ended the crisis. But all the servant had to do was to remember who's in charge. Who's in charge? Who rules? Who is the true king of this earth? Who is the Lord of all? And all the servant had to do was look beyond his circumstances and basically his situation and look to God and God's control and God's work on our behalf. That's what he had to do. Listen, we are to look to Christ for everything. Everything. We can't go through life blind just looking at the physical. We need to understand that God is working. We need to be seeing, not unseeing, the sovereign love and control of God. Look beyond your work situation. Look beyond your school, your family, your marriage, your trial, your scary health problem, your emotional hurt. Look to your Savior with the eyes of faith. That, in fact, this, this idea of looking is actually related to the concept of faith. We're looking to Him. Understand, Jesus died for you. He bore your pain. He took your hell upon himself. He paid your way. God let his son suffer and die in your place. If he would do that for you, will he not freely give us everything else we need? Yes or no? That's what he promises. Take a look at Romans 8.32. Even the smaller things, he said, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? 
we can trust him for the little things in life and the things that we're battling with right now or the fears that we might have about what's going on in our world. Christian, stop walking blind and remember what's really happening in this world and depend on Christ for everything and anything every moment. Every moment. James teaches that very truth in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Open your Bibles if you're not there already, and if you are new with us, we are just working our way through the epistle of James, verse by verse. God controls the topics that we deal with on Sunday to Sunday, and basically this is where he's dealt with us now about looking and understanding his will, and basically if you'd follow the outline, you'll understand that he is testing our dependence upon God's will. Right now this morning, he's testing our dependence on God's will. Listen, do you live every day depending on God's will? That's the challenge of this particular passage and the challenge that James is offering those original readers back in the first century. Are you blind to what's happening? Blind to who's in charge? Or are you seeing? Are you seeing? Listen, the blind spiritually here, I'm talking about even to believers, are those who go through life independently as if they're in control. The seeing are those who go through life dependently knowing that Christ is in control. Do you see the difference? The blind are going independent, I'm in control. The seeing are those who are dependent upon Christ knowing that Christ is in control. In fact, the blind are those who unthoughtfully walk through each day doing their own will. The seeing are those who go thoughtfully walking through each day seeking God's will in everything. Are you getting the difference? That's the difference. So read aloud with me this amazing, sometimes familiar passage, and then we'll actually just exposit it. We'll draw out the truth that's found right here in these verses. Are you ready? Read it with me. Here we go. Come now, you who say, oh, let's try it one more time. Everybody get geared up now. Okay, get that bottom working and then sitting on that bench. All right, here we go. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city Spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil." Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Basically, he's telling us, do not walk through each day independently, walk through each day dependently, every moment dependent. This passage actually exposes sins in my life and in your life, the sins of self-confidence, the sins of indifference, the sins of neglect, and and people who walk through life blind are self-confident, they don't pray. Uh, They don't search the scriptures, they don't ask older saints for wisdom, and they don't trust God with their trials. But the people who see uh, in this particular text are are walking through life God-confident, depending on Him in prayer. They're looking to the scriptures, they're asking for wisdom and trusting the Lord in every circumstance. So James basically breaks this down about four different ways, and he challenges us to live by God's will every moment. Number one in your outline Don't be blinded by presuming. Don't be blinded by presuming, ignoring God's will. Now, James is painting a portrait that the early churches would understand. The early church would actually get this uh, because it was very well known that the Jewish folks in the first century and even today uh, were the great traders of the ancient world. The great traders. Uh, They were the ones who were, if there was a city that was being founded, those who founded that city would really welcome, and this is true, uh, the Jewish people to their city as citizens right away because when the Jews came, trade came and business came. They were really good, and they're still good, just typically as a culture. And amazing things happen. So the picture of a man looking at a map here is what you see. He's going, hey, here's a new city, verse 13. Great trade opportunities. I'll go there. I'll get on the ground floor. I'll trade for a year. I'll make a fortune and I'll come back rich. That's what he's talking about. And it's just good business. Now, there's nothing wrong with good business. Some of you are starting to buy into the socialism thing. And I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with good business. 
going in, selling, being fair, making money, making a profit, that's part of just, this is a good thing. So he's not being critical over that. He's not being critical over making a profit. That's commendable. What he is being critical of is what he left out. And it's actually, to be more precise, who he left out. Who did he leave out? God. There's no mention of God in verse 13. Do you see it? It's not there. He left the Lord out of his planning, and that's what he's being critical of. Look at first, don't presume to make plans, first in your outline, without the Lord being central. That's what he's saying. Don't presume to make plans without the Lord being central. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Now, don't just see this as a sermon. Look at your life and go, am I making plans without the Lord being central? That's the point. And that's the point he's trying to make here. Take a look again, verse 13. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business, make a profit. Come now. That word, if you look at that there, that's a brash call for attention. You know what it means? Are you ready? Listen up. Listen up. It actually means get this. And then he's saying, you who say, and that's basically ongoing, these are people who say this all the time. So when he's talking about this here, he's not talking about a Christian who drops into this every once in a while. He's saying this is indicative of their life. They're making plans all the time, and God is not center to those plans. That's what he's saying here. So it's a participle that's ongoing. And then he's also, when he says you who say, he's talking about something that is based on reason and logic. And so basically this is anybody who thinks through plans logically, articulates their ideas, walks through their day as if, God doesn't exist, are you ready? And God doesn't care. It's, it's kind of the, the person who goes through and goes, I do what I want. You ever met somebody like that? I just, I just do what I want. You're like, well, you, well, you're just running all over people. I do what I want. That's what he's talking about here. You know, when Satan fell, if you've read your Old Testament, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, you're going to find five I wills right? I will ascend to heaven. I will, I will. Well, interesting enough, there are in this text, verse 13, five presumptions. James will also make five presumptions, self-confident, independent statements. What are they? Look carefully at verse 13. Can you see them? Five presumptuous statements. First, they chose their own time today or tomorrow. Second, they chose their own location for doing business, such as such a city. Third, they chose their own duration. They decided to spend a year there, so they, they chose that. Fourthly, they chose their own enterprise. We will enter into business, and that phrase literally means to travel into an area for trade. And fifthly, five things, they chose their own goal or objective. We're going to make a profit. Now again, do you hear them living without dependence on the Lord there? Come on, come on, do you hear it? They're not living dependently. There's no prayer here. There's no scripture guidance here. There's no dependence upon the power of the Spirit. They're going through the motions of everyday life. Oh, they're claiming to be a Christian, but they are independent of God. Independent. They're not dependent. And James, again, isn't attacking their profit motive. He's attacking their exclusion of God through their life. Now, would you just for a second consider how crazy that is? God is infinite, and you are what? Finite. Okay, God knows everything, and you know a little. Okay, me too. And God already exists tomorrow, and you have no clue what's happening after church. You're getting it? How silly is it that we walk through life independent of God? Isn't that silly? Now, wait, I'm there with you. I do it too. I find myself, wait a minute, I haven't any thoughts of the Lord over those last hour or last two hours. I'm there with you, but it's ridiculous that we do that. Ridiculous. It's like the rich man in Luke 12, who without the Lord planned to build bigger barns to contain all his great wealth. He made plans without the Lord, so the Lord told him in Luke 12, verse 20, you fool. That's pretty direct, don't you think? You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you've prepared? The rich man here mistook his bank book for his Bible. He mistook his body for his soul, and he mistook his time for eternity. He's totally out, out to lunch. And yet our lives, according to the New Testament, are completely dependent 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, not only did he save you, but you are completely dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ for everything. He's the vine. You're, you're the branches, right? And apart from me, Jesus says, you can do how much? Please say it. How much? Listen, you're going through life and you start doing it and you're not dependent. It's a waste of time. James is not condemning wise business planning here. Man, I read a lot of stuff on that. It's not, that's not the purpose here. But rather planning that leaves God out. And these make-believers are living like practical atheists. They're living life and making plans as if God didn't exist. And this kind of behavior is inconsistent with genuine saving faith. It's inconsistent with a faith that submits to God, depends on the Lord, and communicates intimately with the Lord. It's inconsistent. So ask the Lord that you might see Him. You know, that you might look with the eyes of faith. Uh, be like Elijah's servant. A servant, And just, there, there's a lot going on here, Lord, that I can't see, and I'm going to depend on you. And all you do. Now, apart from the will of God, everyday life is like going through a murky cave. It really is. And sometimes we fall into routines and we think you got it down and the Lord graciously breaks your routine and causes you to depend again, doesn't he? Sometimes with trials, etc. But when you're born again, and if you're not here and you're not a believer this morning, understand it's when you come to Christ and he regenerates you that actually life takes on meaning. I've heard that testimony, and I would say for everybody in this room who's a Christian, life starts to make sense when you become a Christian, correct? It didn't make sense before, and then it does make sense. Once you're in Christ, you're looking at God's creation. Uh, you're, you're looking at people made in his image. You're looking at people enslaved to sin who desperately need Christ. Uh, all of a sudden, it just all begins to make sense. And when you're in Christ, there's a simplicity there's a unity, a joy, a love in your life that creates a powerful God confidence. It's amazing. Christ knows what he's doing. You are no longer wondering why these things happen. You're just wondering and treasuring who is making it happen. You know who's in charge. You can definitely sing that great hymn, This is my Father's World, right? You begin to understand. So don't live life like you're in a murky cave where you... You can't find your way. James adds this then, secondly in your outline, don't be presumptuous about your brief life today or tomorrow. Don't be presumptuous about your brief life, which exists today and tomorrow. James actually takes his argument now to the next level. He's not just talking about your planning. He's talking about everything. Now, some of you enjoy coffee, and you, you know, some of you don't enjoy coffee. Maybe a hot drink or a tea. So, you, you know, when it's really, really fresh, right, what do you see? The steam coming off of it, right? Are you with me? Come here, you see the steam? But, but that doesn't last forever, right, when it cools off. Some of you this week, it was very cold this week, you went outside and you went, right, and there was a little mist that came out. Wasn't that cool? A little mist when it comes out, you know, you're used to that. And then in a second, what? It's gone. A vapor. Listen, when you did that and you went, and that vapor came out and then it was gone, that's your life. That's what he says here. That's your life. It's, it, it, actually, it actually, in the text, it says it shines for a moment, it glows for a moment, and then it's gone. That's you. Little, little shiny, little glowy, and then you're gone. That's it. And that's what he's talking about. He says, you need to understand verse 14. What's he say? Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Understand, you could wake up, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You could wake up and, and you could be sick, uh, you could not be able to walk, be in pain, not be able to turn your neck around, or you could go blind, you could be in a car wreck, you could lose your job, or worse. And that's just the people I shared with this morning. I was going on all the time, the Lord's in control, you're not. Psalm 27 verse 1, what's it say? Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. Does anybody here know what's going to happen tomorrow in your life? Oh, I'm going to work. But you don't really know. And James says, don't be presumptuous about life tomorrow. In fact, he gives you two reasons. Here they are. Number one, you're ignorant of the future. Number one, you're ignorant of the future. Only God knows. 
What's he say? You do not know, verse 14, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. John MacArthur writes this, Life is far from simple. It is a complex matrix of forces, events, people, contingencies, and circumstances over which we have little or no control, making it impossible for anyone to ascertain, design, or assure any specific future. And despite of that, some people foolishly imagine that they are in charge of their own lives, end quote. Some church types, people who attend church, not only ignore God's will, but they miss out on the benefit of God's will. True believers enjoy the comfort of knowing their God's in total control. He knows everything. He's all wise. He oversees every event, every relationship, every circumstance in your life. And then, are you ready? The Bible tells us, God takes all those things and weaves them together to accomplish His perfect will. All those circumstances. In fact, read it and weep, non-Christian. Look at Romans 8.28. And we Christians know that God causes all things to work what? Together for good to those who love God, those who are His children, to those who are called by God according to His purpose. That promises is only for believers. That promise is only for believers. Now, don't go ragdoll on me. Don't ragdoll, which is basically, I'm not going to be responsible. Okay, you're still responsible. You must plan for the future. You do. You should plan for, you know, taking care of your spouse. You should plan your finances. You should plan your family times. Those are all important planning. But only God knows the future. We are responsible to plan and to make sure we're taking care of people. But understand, God's still sovereign. And only God's in charge of every detail of every day. Only God knows tomorrow, this week, this month, this year to go. So we better be dependent and not independent of the Lord. Can I hear an amen? The point is, we need to rely on Him. Not only are we ignorant of tomorrow, but secondly in your outline, you don't control your brief life. Only God does. You do not control your brief life. Only God does. What does He say? Verse 14, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Again, you're just a puff of vapor. How foolish is it to, in light of the brevity of our earthly life to make plans and enter into even this afternoon without acknowledging God's sovereignty and His control and consideration of His will. Literally, again, you shine for a moment and then you go. That's, that's actually the text. You puff out, shine for a second, and then you're gone. Now, the younger you are in this room, the harder it is for you to think that way. The older you are in this room, the easier for you to go, yeah, I'm a puff, okay? Yeah, it's a vapor. Man, it goes fast, blah, blah, blah. But you got to think about who's in control and who holds your life. Who holds the keys of death in Hades? Who's the one that's in charge of what's going to happen in your life? God is. God is your sovereign God. And that's not a bad thing. He loves you. And he always wants to do what's good for you, even the hard things. You know, what, what does Moses challenge us to do? Look what he says in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. We count our years, our birthdays. Levis, 40. Plesnik, 50. You know, I mean, if we count our years. God counts our very days. Teach us to count our days. And James is declaring no one has the right to make confident plans of the future. Plan vacation, great. But know whose hands are in control. You don't know what even today may bring forth. Man proposes, God disposes. Friends, your total ignorance of the future should cause you to pause a little bit this morning. And understand, if you're living every day ignorant of God's will, life is so brief, you're not, you, you should be scared that you're wasting your life. That you're not investing it into eternal things. And God reveals His will in where? His Word. Listen, 99% of what you need to know about God's will is in His Word. The 1% is going to guide you. We get all tripped out about what, what's my specific calling. Listen, you pursue his word, he's going to lead you to your calling. You go after his word every day, he's going to get you to where he wants you to be. You depend on him, I, I guarantee you, he's going to guide you to that conclusion. 
Life is so brief, you can't afford to waste it. Therefore, God reveals his will that we need to know his will from knowing his word, obeying the Bible. In fact, when we do, we're promised success. We're promised blessing. Take a look at Joshua 1.8 with new eyes now. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way what? Prosperous. And you will have... Listen, can you trust his word? Will you trust your life to his word? Following, doing things... Listen, the Bible tells me I should have discussions with my spouse this way and not the way of the world. The Bible tells me I should drive this way and not the way of the I-15. Uh, the Bible tells us I should do... the, And we just start doing everything under the authority of the Word of God, and will have His blessing. Don't be a weather forecaster Christian, taking stabs at what the future is when you don't know. Only God knows. It's presumptuous to think you can live and plan without Christ. Do not walk through each day independently. Walk through every moment, every hour, dependently on His Word, on His Spirit. Presumption denies who we are. Presumption denies who God is. Presumption denies how much we need the Lord every day. Thirdly, don't presume God is not in charge of every detail. Don't presume that God is not in charge of every single detail. Instead of presuming that you can live your life outside of God's oversight, what's verse 15 say? It says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. Wow. We'll live and do this and that. Instead of getting up and walking through each day without submitting to the Lord, you and I should continually commit ourselves to the Lord doing His will. Now, how did Paul do that? How did Paul do that? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7. He ends all his plans with, if the Lord permits. So he's constantly mindful that it's always up to the Lord. This is not Christianese. This is Paul's conviction. All right? It should be the conviction of your life. Our planning must be based on the conviction that our lives and our future are not in our own hands, but in the Lord's hands. Every day can only be clearly seen through the lens of God's sovereign character and His perfect word. The great Latin phrase, uh, Deo Valente, is, means God willing. And that should be the motto of our lives. God willing. Deo Valente. Our lives are His. The future is His. Proverbs 19.21, many our plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will what? Stand. One more time. You got lots of desires. You got lots of thoughts of where this life is going, but it'll be the counsel of the Lord that will stand. Right? Don't walk through days independent. Be dependent. Dependent. Say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can through me. Say, Father, I need your wisdom every moment, every moment. I know I got this routine down, I got my job down, every moment I still need you. Say, Lord, please work through me. Please work through me by your Spirit. And Lord, if you would, guide me, not to good things, not to better things, guide me to the best things. Give me that kind of wisdom. So number two in your outline, don't be blinded by boasting. Don't be blinded by boasting, denying God's will. Look at verse 16, and you think, well, this is not me, and I, I think you'll find that it could be. But as it is, he says, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And the, the boasting he's talking about is actually referring back to verse 13, when he's talking about, I'm going to go to this city and make a profit, etc. You're boasting about it. Now, how many of you in this room, come on, please be honest, you haven't said, I scored a great deal. Anybody? Oh, man, I made a killing on that one. I made a bundle on that sale, and you left God out. Anybody? Oh, please. Come on. Maybe this is hurting too much. I don't know. Proverbs 21. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what that day will bring. Don't boast about tomorrow. When you ignore God's will, you are, and I am, a proud bragger. We're saying, I'm in control. I can do what I want. I can go where I want. I'm the captain of my own soul. Boast means to be loudmouthed and to speak loudly. 
and it talks about legitimate rejoicing as well as it can be, depending on the context, talking about boasting about one's own accomplishments, and that's what this is. This is the person who's tooting their own horn. I made a killing. They're bragging about themselves. And arrogance here, this is a really rich word, arrogance. You see it there in verse 16? It means to wander about. See, what does that have to do with arrogance? Oh, this is so cool. It was sometimes used to describe the quacks who would travel around selling phony goods. Remember in the Wild West, the medicine man selling the snake oil salesman kind of thing? Are you with me on this? That's exactly what arrogance is talking about. It's sin that's based on an invalid assumption that you're able to control your own destiny, you have the power to determine the course of your own lives. It's a graphic description of the sin of boasting by those who ignore the will of God. I I can tell you, you're snake oil. You know, you can just go through life. And the true Christian, your life is not to be terrorized by fear, or paralyzed but into inaction by the uncertainty of the future, but to entrust all our plans into the hands of God and to have him guide us every day through his word by his spirit. How foolish it is for people to ignore the will of God. The will of God. It's like hiking through the jungles without a map. It's like sailing in the open ocean in a storm without a compass it's really foolish it's like going in an underwater cave and you don't have a string you're not following God's will listen to deny God's will every moment to deny his will over every moment is denying his control it's denying your frailty and it's denying life's brevity let me say it again Denying God's will over every moment is denying his control, denying your frailty, and denying life's brevity. It is. James says, verse 16, all such kind of braggadociousness is evil. And that term is actually used to describe our enemy, the great one, uh, the great evil one, uh, the original boastful sinner, Satan himself. And those who arrogantly deny God's will will emulate Satan's sin and may even suffer his doom. Do not go through life independent. And James is saying, listen, one more time, if you go through life independent as a way of life, you're indicating you're not his child. We go in and out of that, but the more we do, the more mature we are, the more dependent we are, right? That's what he's talking about. But if it's a pattern in your life where you go through weeks and months and years and you're really not dependent on him, James is saying, you're not his child. Because your heart has not been transformed to desire his will. And that's the test of the book of James. That's why he puts it in here. Understand, you don't want to be just like the evil one. Number three in your outline. Don't be blinded by neglecting. Neglecting and disobeying God's will. James is now warning us of the worst response to God's will. And that's verse 17. Look at the worst response. Hopefully this is not true of you. Therefore... To one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is what? Sin. Now this is bad. Because James is writing right now in verse 17, church attenders who affirm God's existence and acknowledge God's sovereign will. So they believe that the Lord's in charge. They believe the Lord's in control like you do, like I do. But in spite of that, are you ready for this? They choose to do their own will. They know what God wants, but they choose to do what they want. Now, this verse is painful. Anybody with me? This verse is painful. It's very like a knife to my heart because every Christian in this room has been there. You know what God said, and you did what you wanted anyway. We've been there. Now, here's the difference. Christians have been there. Non-Christians live there. Are you getting it? That's the difference. Christians have been there but the non-Christian will live here as a way of life. That's not to be your regular routine. And notice, what does he say? James says, to the one who knows what is right. And that word right there is the qualitative good, the morally excellent, the worthy of honor and upright. James is describing professing Christians who know in the past, they still know that God's will is best. Every person who's a Christian in this room knows God's will is best. Can I hear an amen to that? You know his will. Oh, wait, you guys aren't into this. Do you know that God's will is the best? Okay, praise the Lord. Understand, 
This believer chooses not to do the, God's will. Not just once, but the text here is continually disobeys. They're regularly in an ongoing manner, again, a participle, ongoing, and he's saying, do, does not do it. They're not doing God's will. They're not obeying the Bible. They're not following his will. Now, God's will is expressed in the commands of Scripture and the truths of Scripture. And when you study God's will in the Bible, or maybe you've got one of my favorite books that my mentor wrote, Found God's Will by John MacArthur. When you read that little book, it's so fun, and I think it's actually the best book on finding God's will. You'll discover that God's will for people is that they would be saved, that they would be spirit-filled, that they would be sanctifying, you know, they would be growing, they would be submissive to the Lord, and they'd be willing to suffer anything for his cause. That, that would be God's will. But then when you understand that, the person obeying those five aspects of God's will that are stated in the scripture as God's will, to that person, the Bible says in Psalm 34, excuse me, 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the what? Okay, one more time. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That means the Lord will plant those desires in your heart, and then He'll fulfill those desires, which is amazing. Those who know God's will are responsible to obey it. Verse 17, if they fail to do so, it's sin. And the scary part of being in a Christian church that actually tries to teach you the Bible, then really there's a warning with this because to whom much is given what much is required some think of themselves as okay christians because well i don't drink and i don't smoke and i don't chew and i don't go with girls that do right and james is asking it's not what you don't do but it's what you do do he's asking you what what are you doing the sin of disobeying the will of god here is the sin of omission it's of not doing what one knows is right and these particular verse 17 church attenders are not pursuing evil here. They're merely not doing God's will, not obeying Christ's commands. They're, not, they're, they're merely leaving God out again. And James says at the end of verse 17, to you that's sin. James is actually saying and describing the sin of neglecting what you should be doing as a Christian. Listen, what should you be doing as a Christian? What, you ever think about that? What should you be doing as a Christian? You should be worshiping. As a way of life, offering yourself every day as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I'm, I'm giving myself to you. You're, you're not just worshiping here. Worship is a way of life. And we should be worshiping at work, at home, offering ourselves to him. We should be serving. The greatest among you will be the servant. Christ served, we serve. He gifted you to serve. He, he set you apart to serve. We're, that's part of what we are. We're to be giving. We're to give to others. We're to give to the Lord's purposes. We're to love. We're to be known for love. And that's sacrifice for others, caring for others. We're to be praying together. What are we supposed to do as Christians? We're to learn God's word and grow to live out God's word in our lives. We're to share the gospel. We're to care for one another. We're to make those kind of sacrifices. There are things that the New Testament is pretty clear about what we should be doing. Amen? It's pretty clear. And these people know the will of God in verse 17, but they chose to disobey it. And this attitude expresses even more number one pride than the boaster because you're saying to God, I know what you want me to do, but I prefer not to do it. Youch. And then it may not be pride, it may be just ignorance of his will. These professing Christians in verse 17 act as though the will of God is something they can accept or reject. That's incorrect thinking. In reality, the will of God is not an option. It's an obligation. Right? It is. It's an obligation. Who's the master and who's the slave? Who's the child of God and who's our heavenly father that we obey? Because Jesus is our savior and Lord, we're his children and his slaves, therefore we must obey him. It's an obligation. So what happens when true Christians, true Christians now, looking at this text, and they just say, well, I want to be living by God's word, but we deliberately disobey the known will of God. The Bible tells us what happens to Christians who I know what God says, but as a pattern of life now, I'm going to do what I want. If they're a Christian, God promises he is going to spank you. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, verse 6, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges. Wow, that's a tough term. 
every son whom he has received. Do sometimes God's spankings feel like really painful? Yeah. But if you are without discipline, verse 8, of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If a professed believer is not spanked, not chastised, it is evidence that he has never been born again. If the pattern of their life is actually not doing God's will, though they know God's will, they know what the Word has to say, but they're not going to do it, then God promises that He's going to spank you. And if He doesn't, then you're a counterfeit. God's discipline is evidence of His love, not His hatred. It's an evidence of relationship. It's an evidence that you're His true child and He's your Heavenly Father. His Heavenly Father loves His children enough to tweak you along. And aren't you thankful when He taps you along? Come on. All of a sudden, you're like, oh man, that was a bad path. And I'm back to where He wants me to be. Don't walk through life independent. Walk through life dependent. Number four in your outline is live with sight by depending. Live with sight by depending, relying on God's will. Back to verse 15, instead of ignoring, instead of denying, instead of disobeying, verse 17, the will of God, true children of God, verse 15, what should we be saying? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. True believers acknowledge and obey God's will. We want to. And the verb tells us born-again Christians will continually, habitually live if the Lord wills. That's our life. If the Lord wills, we make plans. If the Lord wills, and we seek to do what God's Word commands in every area of our lives. Now, is anybody going to do it perfectly, yes or no? No, but we're in this process. Never perfectly until heaven, but all Christians, are you ready? Will seek to be complete in Christ. Listen, okay. I'm not talking to our, our church family here for a second. I'm tr- talking about you folks who've come to join us in the last year. We're, we're really not interested in you belonging to our church. I, I, I'm telling you this. We're dogmatically, passionately interested in you becoming complete in Christ, whether here or somewhere else. We don't care. If you are a Christian, we want you to become complete in Christ, which means every area of your life is under the authority of the Word of God. Great Commission, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's our passion. Sometimes on Sunday you hear us go, hey, we want you to plug in, it's a big family, whatever. That's just part of the process, friends. But the goal, the passion of our church is that you would become like Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the passion. And we can never stop. I'm not there I am so far from that, it makes me nausea. Chris Hunter is way far from there. And Chris Bauer, they're all in the Chris zone here. I mean, he's got years. We are not there yet, but we are in this together. Amen? And we want to become all that Christ wants us to become and get nothing, everything out of the way that keeps us from becoming like Christ. The goal is not to attend. The goal is become like Christ. And you say, well, I can't. It's because you haven't come to Christ. You have to be in Christ before you can become like Christ. And therefore, that's what James is telling us. He's so pointed. And he's saying, be in the will of God. Well, you've got to be in the will of God if you're going to be a Christian. And then you've got to pursue him. Every aspect of our lives, with every decision we face, believers are to say, if the Lord wills, and he's to be central in all of our plans. You can see it, Acts 18, look at it. If the Lord wills, I'll return to you again. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, if the Lord permits, I'll accomplish this stuff. Hebrews 6, 3, if the Lord permits, then we'll do this kind of thing. Acknowledging God's will, why? Because God is the one in charge of every aspect of life, right? Working it all together for good, and he's also in charge of your life and your death, right? He holds the keys. Does anybody ever die in an accident as a Christian? Yes or no? No. No, there's no accidents. Not with a sovereign God. No accidents. And the timing of your death is absolutely perfectly timed. So you have to worry about that. You're not, you could go into the hospital and you could be on the verge of death, but if it's not your time to die, you're not going to die. You're going to only die when God says it's time for you to die. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says it. The Bible's so clear. What's he say? Deuteronomy 32. There is no God beside me. I am the one who put to death and give life. Is that clear enough for you? 
Hebrews 9, it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. They are appointed their death. Your death is absolutely planned for you. Stop living by fear. Stop it. Look what he says, Revelation 1.18. I have the keys of death in Hades. And who's that? The same Savior that died for you. He knows. He's got you in his hand. He knows exactly what he's doing. Exactly what he's doing. So for the Christian, doing God's will is an act of worship. It's from the heart. We want to be right where he wants us to be. And as a way of life, recognizing the Spirit must energize us to accomplish it. And what happens when you follow his word? Look at John 13, 17. It announces the reward given to those who do God's will. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. If you know his will, and you're blessed if you do them. You're blessed. And God's telling us again that this is a test of true living faith. If you're living by faith, the true saving faith, you will want to live by God's will. You will want to. Do we know what the future holds, yes or no? No, but we know who holds the future. We do. Live life as the Lord wills. Depend on Him moment by moment. Live by the Word of God. Live with your life under His authority. Listen, I know you, you don't feel like it. I don't care if you don't feel like it. Do what's right until it feels right. Just obey and trust Him to work in your emotions. We're the feely society. Nothing happens. I don't feel it. Who cares? Live by faith, not your feelings. Your feelings are, it could be from last night's bad pizza. It may not be legit. The feelings will come, and feelings are a delight. They're wonderful, but don't live by them. Live by faith in the Word of God, trusting in Him every day, saying, Lord, accomplish your purposes every day. Be that person, be that woman, be that man. Dependently pursue the commands of Scripture, coming under it in your speech, in your relationship, in your marriage, with your parenting. Do things God's way. And trust the blessing that will come. And as a result, you will be blessed. You will live with confidence. Even when this world is crashing. And we're right on the verge. We can trust in His love, His wisdom, and His power. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would work in our midst. And Lord, we're asking this morning that if there's any here who don't know you, that they would come to Christ. If there's any here who've been wandering, uh, that you would call them back to yourself. And Father, that you would give those who are your children that, that will, that desire, uh, that passion to dependently live by your will, your word in everyday life. And we'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.